Yes, that fellow there is me, Roger Moore, impersonating James Bond. Bond's the name and Spang's the game. This is the second time in the Bond films that I did that there was a reference to the fact that Bond had been married before. That this was a, a really a throwback to George Lazenby's Bond, in which Mrs. Bond was killed, Diana Rigg. This is the uh, famous church in Gray's Elegy, uh, which is in Stoke Poges. During these commentaries, which I, I would rather look upon as a conversation rather than a commentary, a one-sided conversation because you can't answer back. But it's not so much sort of uh, what actually happened during the shooting of the film in a chronological order, because I quite honestly do not remember after this number of years that have passed since I made Bond. But more or less, it's uh, thoughts that come to mind while I'm watching the videos and thoughts about other films that I made and people I knew. That's a very ominous sign for Bond. The Bond's past, Blofeld. He was not called Bluefield in this. Good afternoon, Mr. Bond. Don't concern yourself with the pilot. One of my I didn't think I was conscious of any uh, decision to get away from where Bond had gone in Moonraker and to make it a, a more serious Bond. I, it was just another Bond uh, with John Glenn directing, who had directed second unit sequence and being editor up to now. I, having had a lot of experience with John Glenn, uh, knew him quite well, having had him as second unit director on a number of films. Being twice 007, it's a long way down. All this area that we are shooting over no longer exists. It became the rather famous or infamous Millennium Dome. I've looked forward to this moment, Mr. Bond. I intend to enjoy it to the full.
this uh, sequence, <laughs> we went through many uh, ideas for, for what the dialogue should be. You know this was a line of covers that comes up about the delicatessen. I'll buy you a delicatessen. I want to make a deal. And I think I must have done about six versions of lines of dropping Blofeld, who was not called Blofeld, down the chimney stack. You're fading from my picture, Mr. Bond. But the end cannot be far away. played the cat but I think I had her in the Spice Girls movie or a distant relative in the Spice Girls movie I played a, a sort of a send-up of the bond of the, the Blofeld character as the manager of the Spice Girls replete with white cat on my lap and a pig. Oh, you want to get up? Mr. We went to uh, New York for the opening of this film, the, pre the, new, the American premiere and of course the, the pre-opening publicity and Cubby said you know uh, Sheen Easton's going to be or, or Jerry Drew said Sheen Easton's going to be on one of the talk shows in the morning and we watched and she spoke about everything except doing the Bond song <laughs> Cubby was very upset Pogner's name there on the titles again. He's one of the uh, the great people with skiing sequences in Bond. Brilliant, brilliant director and handler of camera. First time in any of the Bond films that the image of the singer was on screen. And I think it was because Maurice Binder had a, a soft spot for her. And this, was, of course, was Bill Conti's first uh, Bond. Very fine uh, musician.
amazed at the creativity of, of Maurice Bender. But of course, he always said it was a running gag with, with Cubby, because Maurice Bender said he th felt that he should be on every occasion so he could get the feeling of uh, where the film was going. <laughs> It's wonderful today for me to see Barbara Broccoli's name as producer, along with Michael Wilson. Uh, because when I started uh, Bond, she was uh, just a, a very young girl. She, she came on the set. She uh, sometimes uh, might have been there for a few days, but what she was doing was that she was learning. She was learning her father's craft and I think she learned it very well. I think Cubby, if he were alive today, would be exceedingly proud of her. And I'm sure that he's looking down and, and smiling now. Afternoon. How's it looking topside? Uh, beautiful day. Just bringing the nets in. Fresh for supper. Uh, this actor, Peter Fontaine, uh, lived in Hollywood for a number of years. We, we were quite good friends. Afternoon, sir. Oh, hello, Mayor. My watch. I'm one of those actors who, who comes to work. I've, I've read the script, but I'm not averse to having a change thrown at me at the last moment. I believe that you've got to say the lines and hit the marks and get the day's work in. And I was never really conscious that they were trying to get away from more or less the jokes that we had had in the two previous films. But I see from the beginning of this that it has a, a far more serious note. Destruct ATAC system! That is where we show the uh, period when the film is made, when you see that a computer tape is that big. Today, that would be one tiny microchip, all that equipment. Yes? First seal order by Admiral, yes, sir? Send them in. Shocking news, Minister. 
I'm afraid we've lost our electronic surveillance ship, the St. George's, sir. We had a routine message at 1600 hours yesterday. This was the first film after Bernie's, Bernie Lee's departure, we didn't have end. I'm afraid. Yes, comrade. This sequence, of course, is a recreation of the set we had for Walter Cattell in The Spy Who Loved Me. And Eva Rupestaya is back again as Rublevich. There will be no direct involvement, but if it comes on the market, we should not lose such a remarkable opportunity. <laughs> With that in mind, I've already contacted our usual friend in Greece. Ah. The island of Corfu. I'd never been to, I'd been to Greece before making this film, but I'd never been to Corfu. This beautiful island. Jack Headley, a good English actor I worked with a number of times, directed him in some episodes of The Saint. This location was absolutely magic because every morning our hotel was at the other end and I had a speedboat that I'd take Cubby with me and we would drive to this location and some mornings the Mediterranean was covered with one of those what I call cotton wool skies where there was no horizon there was just this mist and I would say that you must remember this was in the late 70s, early 80s when we made this. And I say, Cubby, I think we're going in this direction. He says, you can't go in that direction. You can't go in that direction. There's Albania. Go close, they'll start shooting us. I said, I don't think I've got a sign that says well, I'm James Bond on the boat. What's he doing? Bolligalan. Pardon? Thank you, darling. Carol Bouquet, who, who actually came to visit the Bond set when we were, were making Moonraker. Beautiful girl. I know that today she uh, owns a couple of restaurants, I think, in Paris with uh, Gilles Deputy. I'll lend a hand if you want. Darling, it's beautiful. Thank you. That's for you. Pistachios for Max. in Cannes during festivals and another time I saw it in Lyon at the Interpol headquarters she was talking on behalf of children with problems my old friend Lois Maxwell 
James. Money, Penny? A feast for my eyes. What about the rest of you? Well, I was going to get around to that. Well, you'd better go in. M's on leave, and the minister's arrived here with the chief of staff and wants to see you immediately. I'll be right back. I can hardly wait. Oh, haven't you forgotten something? Oh, well, as M's away. We're now on my friend Jimmy Villiers. Jimmy Villiers, who I believe at the time that he did this film was 17th in line to the throne. Very funny, very funny actor. And he was a great friend of another actor called Ronald Fraser. And Ronald Fraser was appearing at the Royal Court Theatre. I forget the play, maybe the Gingerbread Man or something. But anyway, one matinee, uh, he had been out to lunch with uh, Jimmy Villiers, and Jimmy Villiers came to see the play in the afternoon, the bandley, and when Ronnie finished his first monologue at the end of the first act, uh, there was a bravo and loud applause from the front from Jimmy Villiers. Bravo, Ronnie. Well done, Ronnie. Well done. Ronnie says, did you stop? I said, did you like that, Jimmy? He said, yes. He said, shall I do it again? He said, yes. And the audience sat there absolutely dumbfounded. <laughs> These two actors went through the performance again. ...and apply the necessary pressure to find out who hired him. The magical motion pictures. We're 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 in Corfu, although we're supposed to be in Spain. I made a two-part Saint episode, which was I did like Simon Templer meets the Mafia or something. We we, sh we shot uh, on the island of Malta for Sicily, and we had said, you know, that when we have a premiere of this. We will have it in Malta for a charity, and it just happened to be that Prince Philip was also visiting the island, and we sort of involved in various openings with him. And then we had this charity screening of a two-part Saint film, uh, which really was for television. It shouldn't have been on a screen at all. But the audience got quite hysterical because they knew the territory and they saw a car going left to right being chased by another car going right to left and they knew that it was already in the wrong location that then sequence of but people who don't know the island don't know where you're shooting. The, uh, the usual formula of a lot of pretty girls around the swimming pool.
When Timothy was uh, doing Bond, and uh, I would be visiting uh, Cubby at his house in Beverly Hills, and Timothy very often was there, so we, we spent some amusing times together. Walter PPK, standard issue British Secret Service, license to kill or be killed. Take him away. I suppose that should have given me a clue as that this wasn't the normal bond, the fact that he took an umbrella and used it as a parachute instead of having some wonderful gadget from Q to escape with. This is another slight departure for Bond because he does arrive in a car, a uh, rather expensive Lotus Esprit that has all the gadgets imaginable that Bond would have on a car. But it blows to pieces when somebody tries to get into it. It was Bob Simmons breaking into the Lotus. So he takes Molina's car, which is a Citroën de Chevaux, <laughs> which is not the car that you would use for an escape. Who are you? Carol Bouquet was, uh, was is a, a very good actress and has a, a wonderful screen presence, I think. She's got these smoldering, smoldering eyes. I don't think uh, in this part she had a chance to show some other facets of her personality. You just saw it in one tiny sequence where she smiled. It was just that one. And she is radiant. She lights up. The obscure object of desire, the Louis Bunel film that uh, she was in, which was the, the first time I think people really became aware of her. Take the low road. Not that low. That's really the first humour in the film, or apart from dropping the man who's not called Blofeld. 
down the chimney stack. You don't mind if I drive, do you? Now we know that we're in for a proper chase because Bond has taken over the wheel. It's rather strange that the scales didn't get knocked over. So the stunt driving is is very good. Again, more wonderful car stunts uh, and all arranged by Remy Julian. Remy Julian and his team, I think, are some of the best in the world for car stunts. Remy Julian did uh, the Italian job, the stunt driving in that, which was quite brilliant, Michael Caine movie. And uh, John Glenn worked on that as well. Some of these shots, uh, being in the car, were done because it was impossible to have somebody hand holding a camera on the front of the car. We were actually on a flatbed behind uh, another truck and um, being whipped around. That's what I like about making movies. You have to rely on other people when it comes to a question of your life. By the way, we haven't been properly introduced, Molina. My name is Bond, James Bond. I think the question about this scene is, did Bond or didn't he? Uh, the conversation sort of is rather rather serious and rather heavy-handed with her, you know, the Greeks, uh, or the, you know, the Chinese say that before setting up on revenge, First, you dig two graves, sort of setting up that uh, she might be biting off more than she can chew, and he is being rather avuncular with her. So I don't think he did. At least I don't remember doing it.
It's not dissimilar to the dialogue uh, with or the scene with Barbara Bach in uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Always avenged their loved ones. In fact, it reminds me a little of, of that scene. You remember where she says, you killed my fiance. You were meant to question Gonzales, not let Miss Havelock perforate him. I quite agree, sir. We'll have to tell the Prime Minister Operation Undertow is dead in the water. She'll have our guts for garters. Oh, of course, now is a reference to the fact that our Prime Minister was a lady, Margaret Thatcher. Prime Minister will have your guts for garters. That was for Havelock's murder. Then there is still a glimmer of hope. I don't follow. If we could identify that someone... Why don't you try the identigraph? Mm. Yes, sir. Well, get cracking, 007. Mm. Minister. Jeremy Bullock, Q's uh, assistant with his, with his arm in a cast, went on to great success after this uh, without ever showing his face. He was behind a mask and he was in Star Wars and he now goes to all sorts of conventions signing and is, uh, is famous. Stinging in the rain. That's not funny, 007. Oh, I see you managed to get the Lotus back together again. I disregard these jibes about our equipment, 007. I don't suppose you find it funny in the field. Indeed, I don't. I hope you all got that little joke, inside joke. Nobody does it better. This identigraph uh, actually came from Goldfinger, but not the film Goldfinger, it was in the book, and it was uh, Richard Maybaum and Michael Wilson, when they're writing, uh, said, let's go back and find uh, things from the old Bonds, the original Bonds, we want to get that flavor. If you wish to identify, and I'll program the information. Male Caucasian, late 30s. Hair, fine, light brown. That's it. Parted in the middle. Yeah, wait a minute. Right. Eyes. A little smaller. Uh-huh. Blue. This looks rather childish when you think of today's technology. Now, nose. A nose, not a banana cue. I'm sorry. Stop. Lips fuller. Uh-huh. Whoops. No, no, no. Mouth wider. Uh-huh. Good. Thank you. No, thank you, Sharon. You can go. I'll lock up. I reckon we're almost there for you, apart from glasses. Steel rimmed. Yep. Beginning to look suspiciously like Octagon. Elton John. Octagonal. That's him. That's our man. Right. I'll try and get a match. I know who that is. That's Michael Gotthard. Yes? Ah, oh, sir, the man we want is Emile Leopold Locke, an enforcer in the Brussels underworld. 
Well, it wasn't that I was working with a new team because all of them had been connected with Bond before. As I often said, it was always working in a family. And so you, you have uh, a wedding and you have a couple of cousins, distant cousins you haven't seen for some time that come along, but they're still part of the family. Yes, sir. And 007, try not to muck it up again. I'll do my best, sir. I'll leave you to lock up. Let me out, will you? Here we are in Cortina d'Ampezzo. Cortina d'Ampezzo was the, the location for the original Pink Panther. It was also very cold. This was my first experience in Cortina. Because at, at, at the time that I made this, I was living in start in Switzerland. One day Blake came over to see me, Blake Edwards and Julie Andrews. Blake being the producer and the writer of Pink Panther. And he said, uh, we've got an idea for doing another Panther and we'd like you to be Clouseau. I said, you've got to be joking. He said, no, the idea is, and then he laid out the idea that uh, that uh, Clouseau has been involved in robbing the Pink Panther and is now shacked up with Joe Lumley and has had surgery to, uh, to disguise himself. So all through the film he is seen with uh, bandages on. Something has happened in France and, they, uh, and it is decided by the, the president that Clouseau must be found. The man that got up and came over with the hat and glasses <laughs> is really Pink Panther. When he finally confronts him, at this point, the Pink Panther has had the bandages removed, but, and he is me, he is Roger Moore. But he's done nothing about his voice, so he is still... You're smoking, you know why I'm smoking the cigarette from the wrong end. <laughs> she says, for a very good reason. He says, exactly, for a very good reason. And falls over the back of the chair, and it's the usual uh, clowning of Clouseau. I thought, well, what a, yeah, it's, it's all right. But then I had uh, the ex-wife and the, the widow saying, this is absolutely terrible. Blake is talking about doing a, a Pink Panther. Well, they weren't going to use any of the material of Peter, uh, but I couldn't tell them. <laughs> and thank goodness I was away from Start when we eventually made it a Pinewood. Lynn Holly Johnson. Oh, Wonderful skater. Signor Cristatos. Oh. Ah. Cristatos. Aris Cristatos. Bond. James Bond. Would you care to Julian join? Glover. Oh, that's a very good idea. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, the villain of our piece is a, a very fine actor. I saw him in a production a few months ago in London of The Dresser, and he was quite wonderful. At the same time as he did this, he had been in the Star Wars and in Indiana Jones. Bond, the three top action movies. 
will be the greatest in my life. Here are some new admirers for you. Mr. Bond, Mr. Ferrara, Bibi Dahl. And her coach, Jacoba Brink. Jacoba Brink, of course, she's played by Jill Bennett, who was at Rada with me, had uh, been a friend for many, many years. Very good actress, Jill Bennett. She, funny enough, she was in a film for Cubby years and years before uh, Hell Below Zero with, with Alan Ladd one of the Warwick films that Cubby and Irving Allen did. And she went to the first stage rushes and Irving Allen said to her, what are you gonna do about your face? <laughs> what a depression it put her in. <laughs> she was very young then and uh, the, the, of course, the leading lady was Joan Tetzel, who I was, uh, I understudied in The Little Hut for 18 months, understudying David Tomlinson and Geoffrey Toon. Little Hut was Robert Morley, Joan Tetzel and David Tomlinson. At the Lyric Theatre. Once we were like brothers, now he hates me. We fought together in the Greek resistance and against the communists. After that, he took a different path. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Mustardis. My pleasure. I leave that is not my, uh, the fellow has halitosis look. That is, it is damn cold up here and I want, to, I want to get down in the warm and have a large Jack Daniels. What do you think, Luigi? Does this uh, Dove, Colombo, have the resources to mount a salvage operation? Oh, definitely. He runs a fleet of intercoastal freighters in the Aegean. I ring my office in Milan. They may have more on him. Now, when we shot this, they... Actually, they'd lost a lot of snow in Cortina. And the snow wasn't in the main street at all. We had to have trucks coming down the mountain bringing snow from up above to, to make it look uh, like this. I'm quite sure there's no gun shop in the main square in Cortina, but that's the license of movies. Thank you. I'll take it. Deliver it to the Hotel Cristallo, please. Oh, beg your pardon. The girl behind the counter uh, won a Playboy contest to be in this movie. Her name was Robin Young. Pick them up later. Come on, quick. Send them to the funeral, will you? Hey, slow down. Now, would you mind telling me what the devil you're doing in Cortina? Your telegram. What telegram? It said you found a man and to meet you here today. I didn't send a telegram. 
Now, get in. The station, please. Are we leaving? Follow that sled. What a pity it's not one of those things. Tell me what to do. El stazione, Pepper Boy. Yeah. Looking at this today, I find it quite verbose for a Bond film. It is a different change of pace. I can remember when we were shooting, there were there were lines that I did. I thought were very unbond. Let me out. Driver, stop. Bye, Avanti. Presto. I think that there was one line where I said it must have been a, she was talking about her life as a child and, and Bond said well, it must have been a very lonely life for a young girl. And I, I remember having a conversation with John Glenn and saying, I, I know writers must hate me because very often I, I stray away from uh, the written word, the word that's being given to me on the page because I feel I know the character I'm playing and, and I want to make it comfortable for myself. Uh, oh, I think I think it was uh, Rafe Richards, or Rafe Richardson who said, there's no such thing as a bad line, just bad actors. So I guess I come under that category. I think this is where I might go into my room and find Lynn Holly Johnson. Or am I just a dirty old man? Bond is very, uh, you know, go home at once. Thank goodness. Don't they have showers at the ice rink? How did you get in here? One of the porters is a fan. I was spoiled by the fact that uh, I got paid very well for doing a job that I have loved. I've never met, actually, actors are fortunate people, because I've never met one who wasn't happy doing what he, he did and get paid for it. You're very lucky if you're successful at it, if you can fool all of the people all of the time, or most of the people some of the time, is great. Uh, but I enjoyed acting just as much when uh, I was getting nine pounds a week in rep as I did when I was doing Bond. Ah, shall we? Did you ever come up for air? That's where I'll get the gold medal. Breath control. That's where you, you can't lose. The leading skiers are now in the fight. There is Wolf Wolf from Austria, Hero Berger, Fitzgerald, Wolfgang Schwab, Holland, and now, welcome to me. Beautiful skier, Lynn Holly Johnson.
I look quite expert myself, thanks to Willie Bogner, who is skiing backwards, photographing me being dragged down on the back of a sled. Last year's East European champion is passing some back I enjoy skiing. Coming up fast from the West German champion, Hans Krieger. He's German champion. Isn't he beautiful? You know something, BB, you're fickle. I think one of the problems directors have <laughs> had with me when I'm, you know, familiar with the character as I was in television with The Saint or with Maverick or with Ivanhoe, that you do it, you do it, you do it, and you, you want to change the pace and and I know I can look at myself and I can see that I'm thinking, uh, what gag can I put in here? I'd much rather break the crew up than, uh, than say it straight. Eric! Oh, baby, I'm afraid I have to leave you. No, James, stay with me. I have an appointment. I've been asked, what makes a good actor? I would say uh, a good actor, you don't see the acting. If you see the acting, then it's not good acting. But I hate to pontificate about the art of acting because I've read too many of my critical notices. I was doubled uh, in some of these squeeze sequences by, by two different uh, stunt doubles, one being Pat Banter and the other, John Eves. And John Eves was a Canadian uh, acrobatic ski champion, world ski champion, is uh, quite brilliant. He's the one that does the leap over the table and, and goes down the ski jump on ordinary skis. Great, great, great skier. Pat Banter married uh, Tina Broccoli, Cubby's daughter, or one of Cubby's daughters.
I'm glad to say that uh, Willie, Willie Bogner supplied from his company my, my, my clothes in this and, and many of the ski suits I've worn since are by Bogner. He's pro probably the best of the uh, ski clothes, sports clothes designers. The man on the right, the great friend, was a great friend of Cubby's, always to be found at the same gambling table. And Cubby would always have him on a location somewhere, sitting at a, a roulette table, or as he is in this, standing next to me in the lift. He was the fellow who looks like a little tiny George Kennedy. This, of course, is the, the Olympic ski jump in Cortina d'Ampezzo. This is uh, going to be the jump that John Eaves goes off wearing normal skis, not jumping skis. A very difficult stunt, that. best of the Bond chases, because it's a different type of chase. You know, the difference in this is that Bond has no gadgets, except skill and a couple of good doubles. Here's the old gag of knock him down. A lot of these uh, skiers, you know, <laughs> who were being extras for the day. <laughs> they didn't know what they were letting themselves in for with motorbikes tearing down and, and skiers out of control. Good stunt. There he is again. 
last time we saw him was in Piazza San Marco. The second unit was being directed on this by Arthur Wooster. This is the Olympic bobsled run. Quite extraordinary skiing from John Eaves, and also from Willie Bogner, who is actually skiing and photographing this. This brings back very uh, uncomfortable memories because when I become left alone on here, I'm faced with hockey players that are dead set on killing me. I volunteered to do part of the stunt myself, which was to throw myself into the the wall of the ice rink and something that I could normally do quite easily because it's just a, an elbow tuck as you throw yourself forward and you, you go over. What I didn't take into account was that my jacket was shiny and the ice was slippery and my elbow went out instead of under me, which uh, put my shoulder out completely. And I was carted off to the hospital at about one in the morning, an x-rayed, and my arm was strapped up. And they said we could not go on shooting. Not with me. And they obviously had a meeting the next day Cubby and production supervisor, etc. And Cubby came to me and they said if, if they could get just a couple of shots with me, 
then the unit could wrap the following day, the first unit, and keep to schedule. Otherwise, I'd have to wait until I could take my arm, which could have been a week. So I agreed that I would have, uh, they said the doctor would come and give me uh, a painkiller before we started the shoot, which would last a couple of hours. And uh, he came to the hotel. And unfortunately, in Cortina at that time, they had uh, a lot of power cuts. And just as he filled his syringe and started approaching me, the lights went. And so here I, with this doctor, who I think is a maniac, <laughs> about to stick a needle in me and he can't see me. And I know that he is in the room and he's trying to stick this needle and I'm saying, wait till the lights go and wait till the lights go. I swear the catch is on Luigi. Anyway, the lights came on and I had the shot and I went off. But as usual with filming, things take a little longer than they should anticipate. And I had to drive the, uh, the, you know, the ice, whatever they call them. And I had no idea how I did it. My arm was bound up afterwards, about three in the morning. And the next day I was driven back to start. I remember that was an eight hour drive. And every bump in the road went through my body. And the first scenes that we did uh, a few days later in the studio, I was wearing a wetsuit and try and pull a wetsuit over your head with a shoulder that's been dislocated. <laughs> it was a, a, a very uncomfortable memories of that. Thank you. I think you may need that. <laughs> She smiles for the first time. Thanks to the beautiful island of Corfu. My father loves the view. I remember the, the, doing this sequence and sort of discussing with John that it really uh, it's a very, very different type of bond to what I'd done before, and I, th I think we, we compromised and, and we arrived at what is on the screen, and I, and I think it worked. There's more romance and seduction, I think, in, in this bond, as far as romantic as bond can be, although this did start off with bond laying flowers on his uh, wife's grave. Wit. Wit. This is Cassandra Harris, who was uh, married to Richard Harris's brother, and then she married Pierce Brosnan. Pierce at this time had not was not even I don't think making 
Remington Steele. Guy Hamilton had actually directed Pierce Brosnan in The, in the Mirror Cracked with Elizabeth Taylor. I know he, he had done that before he went on to Remington Steele. Lucky night. Cut. Of course, practically every Bond has a, has a gambling scene, which is, of course, where I met Cubby and Harry gambling. But I am a bad gambler, which is why I don't gamble today. Because I always had a sense of guilt about gambling and felt I had, if I won, I had to stay and give it back. The trouble was I gave it back and a little more. Now I don't gamble. By the time I'd finished Bond, I'd stopped gambling. Gambling on the set with Cubby was quite enough. Getting up in the morning was a gamble at that point. Aperitif, please. Uh, ouzo for me, please. Merci. Ella, in a ouzo, in a whiskey, or espargo, paracolo. And to eat? I'll have the preppers of prawns, a savara salad, and... Um, in real life, people still think it's rather fun to have a martini ready for me. In fact, when I married Christina, my present wife, the pastor in Copenhagen that married us, and it was just the two of us and his... Uh, assistant uh, who was the witness and her husband who was a lawyer who drove us to, to the church and we were just the only people there apart from three uh, people who sang and afterwards there was wine for the guests <laughs> and two martinis for, he, for, for me and I very sweet. Just tell me where he is. Over there, with the woman in blue. I like a martini, but I don't like a vodka martini. I like a gin martini. Occasionally, very occasionally. They're very dangerous. They are perfectly safe. He will do nothing in his own place. This was a different type of uh, a Bond villain because he doesn't start off as a villain. He's or appear to be the villain. He is setting somebody else up as the villain. There's the fellow he's trying to set up. My friend Chaim Topo. Topo I've met uh, in London years before. When he starred as Tavia in Fiddler on the Roof quite a wonderful performance, and I'm delighted he went on to make the movie of it. In every scene, uh, Haim Topol had to eat pistachios. And when you do tracking shots in a film, where they have tracking boards down and they roll over with the camera to save putting down tracks. I drove Alec Moore's camera operator man by sprinkling I'm 
shelves on the, on the, on the boards. That was not popular. Anyway, I please sit down. You're making respect for yourself. Get out. Nothing would please me more. I think my favorite question in any interview is a live television program. This may be an opportunity. This may be a trap. And the interviewer said to me, you were uh, Ivanhoe and you did these uh, films in Hollywood and you did the Alaskans and Maverick and, and you're the saint. You must have been through an awful lot of leading leaders. I said, I think you can rephrase that. And he said, why? And I said, repeat, if you can, what you just said. And he got halfway through <laughs> Oh, oh, my God. <laughs> I think it's, it's somewhere in the archives that and is produced of this terrible faux pas. I'm the Countess Lisa von Schlaff. My name is Bond. I'm a writer. I'm preparing a novel about Greek smugglers. Do you know any? Smugglers? How would I know any smugglers? Well, I would have thought... That shows that looks can deceive. She said I look like a gentleman. <laughs> How do you think I got this part? You see, one of the few women in the world who doesn't know who Bond is. My name is Bond. I'm preparing a novel about Greek smugglers. I bought one of those cars. Rolls Royce. My business manager in England, when I, I think of when I was making Spy Who Loved Me, he said, you know, you, know, you can afford to buy uh, a Rolls Royce. I, I, I said, but I, you know, I always avoided buying one. I thought it was just too flash to have a Rolls Royce. You should not. But when finally I was told, yes, well, why, why don't you? I, why not? And so I did, and it was delivered the same day that I was preparing to go home. My home wasn't far from Pinewood Studios at Denham, and it was my son's, I think he was two or three years old, and it was Christmas. And wardrobe and makeup got together, and they were going to make me up as Father Christmas, and I was padded and Paul England, my makeup. Man did the most wonderful beard and wig and everything else. And I got into the rolls from Pinewood and I stopped driving the rolls for the first time. And I'm driving back to my house and I had to stop at a traffic light. And I felt somebody alongside staring at me. And I thought, oh my God, I shouldn't have bought a Rolls Royce. Now everybody's looking. And I realized <laughs> they're looking at Father Christmas <laughs> driving a Rolls Royce. That you're a spy to find out more about you. And have you? Have I ever? This sequence was shot the other side of the island of Corfu. I remember it was quite a long drive to get there. The side with sand. When you're ready to leave, you can take my car. 
That sounds like a dismissal. I was rather looking forward to breakfast. And one of the villains in the car here went on to star as Ian Fleming, Charles Dance. Charles Dance. Get it. Saved by the cavalry. Goodbye, Countess. What the? Not saved by the cavalry. Now, uh, what should I do with you? you Topple's a, a very funny man. He has a great, great sense of humour. You can see that sparkle in, in his eye. Um, I think a fine actor, good voice, wonderful singer. I thought he'd bring. If I were a rich man, marvelous, and also. Uh, I believe a, a kibbutznik, somebody who was born and a kibbutz raised in Israel, was a colonel in the army. For him, not for me. I smuggle, yes, I smuggle gold, diamond, cigarettes, pistachio nuts, but no heroin. I've not seen him, but the, the, the thing, the problem is, I don't live in England. And the rare occasions, or well, the, the time, it's not rarely, but I go to England quite often. But my days are so limited, and I'm usually there on some business, usually UNICEF, and then uh, have our children to see, and then I'm off. And so I, I very rarely have time for some of the old friends like Haim. I, I see uh, Michael Caine more often, and uh, Brian Forbes, who's a writer, director. Leslie Bricketts, who's a writer, composer, lyricist. 
that he did none of my Bond titles. And of course, he wrote Dr. Doolittle. In fact, when I was looking at uh, that shot, very tight shot of Carol Bouquet's eyes, I was reminded of Leslie's song that was written actually for Rex Harrison to sing to a seal. Look at those eyes, <laughs> which is a beautiful love song. But you look at eyes and you say, look at those eyes. I never heard Bob Simmons sing, although I've been told that he did. I'm a good judge of My principal memory of Bob Simmons, apart from you know, sort of working and having a lot of laughs with him, uh, was that he would go back to London when we were filming in uh, Paris on Moonraker, and he would come back on Monday mornings with a great pot of dripping, which for people who don't know what dripping is, it is uh, sort of the fat that is dropped through a joint of meat or through, uh, through a turkey or a goose. And in German, it's called Ganserschmolz when it's goose grease. And it's grease, and it is absolutely wonderful on bread or toast. Terrible for cholesterol. This was a very uh, different type of ship for Bond to have a fight on, unlike uh, the giant tanker containing the submarines and the spy who loved me. It was far more intimate. Nice Greek sailing ship. I remember when we were shooting a scene, there was a squib that caught toppled by the side of his eye, and uh, like most head wounds, face wounds, a lot of blood. It wasn't as serious as it looked, thank goodness. Now, this is a very different bond. Somebody said, watch it. And they didn't cut to a Seiko. Santos, Nikos. JIM diving equipment for salvage. Alec Mills has worked with as a, a camera operator, and I worked with him later when he was a, became a DOP. We had sort of running gags, which I usually did with the camera operator. I used to try and tape them to the, their camera stall. <laughs> An old smuggler's trick. Christados knows them all. And Alec, when we were shooting Spy Who Loved Me, had to, they had to do a handheld shot going up a torpedo tube, the point of view of a torpedo going up. 
and Alec would not go up the torpedo tube with the camera, the Aeroflex, while I was still on the submarine. He was petrified that I should slam the door shut and blast him out. And he was serious. So was I, I would have done it. Alec Mills, I didn't... I, very rarely as an operator did he miss a shot. You never, you never hear him say, I'd like to go again because I don't think I quite got it. He really anticipated everything. I did damage him once in the eye when he was hand holding an Aeroflex and I threw something across the floor and a chair and it unfortunately hit the lens. But camera operators are sort of strange that they become remote. They're witnessing something, but they're not a part of it. And when something comes flying at the camera, they want to get the shot, they just hold it to their own cost. steps. I wouldn't like to do that today. In fact, I couldn't do that today. That became a favorite pose for all Bond stills. I remember a lot of discussion about this particular shot that Bond just letting it go over. Uh, this was the hard edge they wanted to put on me. I think the old Bond, uh, I would have let the pin go in it, which caused it to roll and then just open my hands with a little shrug. Just the weight of the pin, not the kick. This was quite brilliantly done because we, in actual fact, that that is real underwater, but the close-ups were not underwater at all. They were putting the bubbles in afterwards. These bubbles are not real. Not real at the time, you know what I mean? I think it's quite extraordinary, the bit of 
cinematic craft, but it can be done. It was also very uncomfortable to do because I, I had to wear a wetsuit and this was after I had dislocated my shoulder. I'd split, actually split the collarbone in the clavicle. Uh, and so I had many, many weeks of discomfort. Where did the St. George's sink? Well, we can't be sure for certain. We know it was in this vicinity. Your father was using the temple as a, as a front. The starters killed your father because he didn't want him to find the St. George's before he did. Christatos. How can I help? Well, where did your father keep his records, his, his daily log? Daily log, daily log. Father and he were pals for 30 years. He repeats everything. I What's worked with some birds in my time. <laughs> I remember at Palm Springs, Frank Sinatra and Barbara Sinatra had a, a, a parrot that uh, never bit Barbara, but would go for everybody else. I was the only one who could decipher it. My aunt had a parrot, I remember, when I was a kid. My aunt Amy. <laughs> it reminds me, it was when I my first bitter experience of learning not to tell the truth but telling you the parrot story first she had this parrot it was called whatever it was it was a male name and uh, everybody referred to it as he until one day she laid an egg but my aunt was uh, my mother's elder sister and she had dark hair my mother was fairish haired and one day at my aunt's, I was about seven or eight, and I said, uh, why doesn't our Amy shave? I got a whack across here. I said, but she got a moustache. Bang! I said, but she has a moustache. I learnt that you don't say that your aunt has a moustache, or any other lady for that matter. Not as long as they can clump you around the ear. Four feet. An oxygen helium oh, yes, an oxygen helium mix. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Bond is such a smart ass. Who have destroyed the transmitter? Only if they'd had the chance to set the explosive timer. 
visitor below. The fact that I'm dressed in yellow has nothing to do with the colour of my backbone. Well, there are many things you can wear. You can either wear red, yellow, or green, or blue. And the yellow stands out very well against the dark blue of the seabed. I used to do scuba diving. Uh, I rather liked it. My first scuba diving was done at uh, San Pedro in Los Angeles, you know, Los Angeles. These sort of scenes as an actor are very, very boring to shoot. You can't really talk, <laughs> you're just looking behind a mask. And I can't hear the sound as I scream. <laughs> I admire those actors that uh, sort of play surgeons in television series talking about the, well, we should uh, cut through the central hoop and then turn the work with the altar and up the thing and all those terrible technical words. Hell to learn. 
ago. Screwdriver has become a dirty movie. I think this is where John shows that he is very good with, uh, as an editor, as a very, you know, one of the top editors, that knowing exactly what you need in a scene to tell a story that has very, very little dialogue. He's very good at uh, telling the story in like frames of a cartoon, except they're all joined together and move. Stuntman uh, with Burt Reynolds, and Burt wanted him to do uh, Cannibal Run with Vera Fawcett Majors. Oh, Dean Martin, uh, Jackie Chan. Oh my goodness me, there were so many people in it. Hal was great because I came back from having seen that film and I said, you know, this guy's got a wonderful technique. He's got two or three cameras, they're all set up very close to one another and so you just shoot, you've got your close-up, you do your master, you've got your close-up, you don't know. This is a great way of shooting, it's great speed. I'm lazy, I thought we could, we could finish films quicker. Al Ruddy uh, came to me and said, uh, in California and said, I, you know, we've got this film, Cannibal Run, uh, which we'd like you to do. And they explained a little about the film. And I said, well, you know, I can't play James Bond. I'm not allowed to play that character. It's, uh, you know, first of all, I don't want to. And, and secondly, I wouldn't do it not set copy. It's uh, it's not on. It's not part of it. You don't take you don't take the the Mickey out of something you're making at that time. It was like Bond. It was really Bond. And I said, no, what I do, I what what I'd like to be. I said I'd like to be. Uh, I want to be Jewish, and I want Molly Pecan to play my mother. And I want to be a guy who thinks 
that he's Roger Moore. Not James Bond. He thinks he's Roger Moore. And this is, they, they just listened to what I said and they did it. And they came up and they got Molly Peacock. And I, and I had all that dialogue. She says, why, you know, you got to act like this crazy guy. I'm Roger Moore. <laughs> they had, had fun doing that. I don't think I've discussed it with Cubby. It was uh, the Aston Martin, or one of the Aston Martins that uh, had been used in the Sean Connery bombs with the ejector seat. After I finished shooting in Las Vegas on it, they, they were picking up the stunt shots and the girl was badly injured who was sitting next to me in the car. Her fiancé actually was driving and he was did not avoid the truck that was coming towards him. Very sad when those accidents happen. Awful. Tragic. But I enjoyed that experience of Cannibal. cannibal. And I uh, shared a, a car going to location sometimes with, with Dean. We lived close to one another in Beverly Hills at that time. Great character, Dean Martin. Lovely man. We never discussed Matt Helm. He's, I remember Frank and Dean sort of at the time that I made Live and Let Die. And they liked my clothes. They, they were by a tailor at that time, my first Bond film. I had a tailor called Cyril Castle. And both Frank and Dean had, and Sammy, all had dinner suits made by, uh, by Cyril. Frank said to me one day, he said, you know this? doesn't lie very good on the collar. Collar comes back. I said, oh, I've, I forgot to tell you that Cyril is very good, but you have to watch the, the back of the, the collar because you have to say, you have to bend forward on your final fitting and say you, it's riding up. Everything else was perfect, but there is one uh, scene in one of the Bond films in a Cyril Castle suit where I leant forward and, 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 I, and I look at that and I think, oh dear. Frank would never forgive me. And Dean, I remember they brought it up. Thank you, Mr. Bond. You have saved us the trouble of disarming it. Apostles, take that. Where are the men I left on board? You will soon be joining them. Let the girl go, Christophus. You know, we were talking about Cubby never talking about uh, generous acts. Another person, they never discussed his generosity was Frank Sinatra. I remember making a film with Lee J. Cobb. It was a film called Lucky Touch, and we were filming in London and in Brussels. And Lee said, 
a number of years before he had had a, a heart attack and he was in Cedars and the nurse came and said, there's a call for you from uh, Mr. Sinatra, who understands if you don't want to talk, it's fine. He said, no, I don't speak to him. And he came on, Mr. Sinatra, and Frank says, uh, don't want you to worry about the bills, kid. Everybody was kid to Frank. Don't worry about the bills. They're taken care of. And he said, but, but why? I, I, I don't know you. He said, I like your work. Frank knew that he was not a wealthy man, he did a lot of work, but wasn't getting stars' money. That was the sort of thing Frank did that nobody knew about. They'll make appetizing bait. I didn't think it would end like this. We're not dead yet. Dragged behind the boat with the paravane was actually the original uh, book of Live and Let Die, which was why Michael and uh, Richard Maybaum wanted to take parts of Bond that had not been seen and give him the harder edge. This was how this came in. I never had the luxury or the pleasure of being with, in the Bahamas with a second unit. Some people get all the fun. Al Giddings uh, was in charge of all of this. One of the excellent underwater cinematographers. <gasps> I don't think the shark is hungry. George Leach. Ah, leave him. Leave him, nice. 
Very nice. One less, one less salary to pay. One wouldn't know when you're underwater, whether you're in the Bahamas or in the, the uh, tank at Pinewood, except the tank at Pinewood is about 15 degrees colder. Ah, uh, the sharks have them. Make port. When I read that the parrot would be giving us the lines, I thought, this will prove my skill. I will do it without breaking up. I will look serious and believe it. You know, if the hero believes it and the heroine believes it, the audience believe it. This scene actually was, uh, when it was originally being written, was supposed to be Bernard Lee. It was M, but because Bernie, unfortunately, actually died at this point. But he had insisted on shooting a test and, and shooting the scene because he was very nervous about his ability to remember lines. I know a well-informed person to contact about that, Q. Ah, here we are now in Kalambaka, or Meteoris. Where we used to hide from the Germans. These are the extraordinary little monasteries that are built on top of pinnacles. My friend, 
I've been studying this place for years for just such an occasion. We'll split here, huh? Your best approach. We did have one slight problem shooting this because we were shooting on one of the hilltops next to this pinnacle. The only way to get to the pinnacle is actually that they take their supplies up uh, by rope and a basket. And when we started to shoot, we suddenly found they had covered the roofs with plastic. Because they didn't want us to shoot on them. And it had already been arranged and money had passed over. It had changed hands, but it had not gone down to the people at the monastery. It was quite a scandal. So because the, uh, <laughs> the monastery had been covered with plastic, Peter Lamont was forced to reconstruct a lot of it in the studio for when we went back. time we made this was uh, was already very ill. She had cancer and she needed, she needed work, she needed money and Cubby, remembering her from Hell Below Zero, gave her this part. It wasn't the sort of thing that Cubby would talk about. You must have a sponsor. I'll find another one. Go outside and check the guards. Let me know as soon as the helicopter arrives. These are the sequences I hate being on the side of a mountain. I am not uh, particularly happy in heights. And I was uh, in charge of this sequence. And dubbing me was Rick Sylvester, who was the man who skied off with the Union Jack parachute in The Spy Who Loved Me. A fearless sort of fellow. And here we come one of John Glenn's pigeons. He owns pigeons, I think, and uh, rents them out for movies.
I suppose in the other type of Bond, in the earlier Bonds, Bond would have would have had all sorts of magic equipment from Q and would have jetted himself up a jetpack up there uh, or arrived there by by helicopter or by parachute. But this time he does it for real. Uh, climbing. I, th I think they did it this way because they knew I hated heights. They wanted to punish me for taking too long in negotiations, I presume. Which I didn't do. My agent did. Silly boy, you don't, mustn't do that. Bond is going to be very unhappy. Oh! What a stunt! Now, we had to reproduce that in the studio. And I came down about four feet. <laughs> it's the most painful experience. Maybe my harness wasn't correct. I never did mountain climbing. I hate, hate heights. In fact, I, did, I have no idea why they cast me as Bond. I, I don't like heights. I don't like explosions. I blink before guns go off. things that I found very, very nerve-wracking about climbing the mountains when we were in uh, Kalambak or Meteoris was the thought, oh, tomorrow morning I've got to go up that mountainside again. I really don't like it. And I, to sleep, my doctor had given me some Valium and I found that sort of half a Valium and, and a glass of beer uh, made me quite fearless. I don't recommend that. fall for anything. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> I think, oh, he's one of Costoza's girls. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> 
Not, oh, poor fellow. <laughs> Call an ambulance. Pressing a pen, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I think one of the things that I remember about uh, the circus leading up to the, the Bond premiere, that they would have hundreds from the world's press and would they would be set up ten to a table in the restaurant of a giant hotel. And you would move, from, various cast members would move from table to table, invariably the same questions <laughs> on each table, and do that all day. And then you have to do the, uh, the TV interviews, and they probably set up four or five different rooms where they set up with their lights, and you move in different crews, and so you keep going from one room to the other, to the other, to the other. It's quite exhausting, and by the time you've put on your black tie and gone to the premiere, and you've stood in line and you sat down, you've had to sit through yourself. That first drink after, when you get to the post-premiere party, is the best drink you're ever going to have. I mean, you, you finish making the movie, and you go on to something else. It comes as a terrible surprise when you sit down in the theatre and see the film. You say, oh, I said that, oh, I wore that. Only bad weather would delay. Maybe I have a short uh, attention span, but I see many things and I do not remember them at all afterwards. Cover the windows. Let's go. He's all right, leave him. This again now is uh, Peter Lamont's reconstruction of the studio.
Where's Christatus? And keep your voice down. We are leaving him. But he must not know until he are gone. All right, we'll help you if you help us. Yeah, mine heaven. Yeah. Come. I saw a reasonable amount of uh, Cubby and Dana after Cubby was was taken ill. And he adored her. She, and she him. Dana was a great influence uh, on the Bond films with Cubby. Cubby respected her opinion, and her opinion was was usually very right. I liked her very much. She was a beautiful woman. And again, a very, very sad passing. Move. I remember Dana wrote a, a book, a very interesting, Florinda, which was made into a musical. You better stay here. And then, of course, she was very much involved in. Uh, presenting Chitty Chitty Bang Bang on stage. And I'm very grateful uh, to Dana and to, to Barbara Michael that they gave one of the openings to UNICEF. And we had a very good fundraising evening. And uh, Mumu fired. Harrods uh, gave us the facilities to have dinner and supply dinner and wine for nothing afterwards. It was a very good evening. I remember I spoke to Dodie just a few days before he was killed. Dodie was a friend of, uh, of all of us, of Cuppies and Dana and Barbara and my children. And I was uh, having dinner with his aunt in, in Monaco on their boat and, uh, and Dodie called, as he usually did every day, called, called Adriana. And I remember I jokingly said, so what's new, Dodie? I mean, at that time, it was front-page news every day. Some in. Where's Christatus? He's left with the ATEC. You're going to pay for it! No, you're not as fast as you used to be. 
Well, we go back to being the, the serious and uh, bond, reminding about digging two graves, the Chinese proverb. If I had to be remembered of one of these two bonds, of Moonraker or For Your Eyes Only, I find that a very difficult question to answer, but I probably would say the last one I saw, For Your Eyes Only, uh, purely because I think I looked in better shape than I did in the other one if you're going to be remembered for something. I think this is an interesting point that they made here, that although the wall hadn't come down yet, we were maybe moving towards detente. And maybe Cubby and Michael were trying to say it was something that was going to happen, it should happen little bit of forward thinking. We're all after this one thing, and it went. No hard feelings. Well, seems though BB has a new sponsor. Well, how's it going? Well, I've paid through a high security line to the satellite. Can... I, I think that after a tense moment, you need something to break the ice. And if it's a bad line, then it's going to get the wrong laugh. So you might just as well go for something that is played for laughs. And this is played for laughs. Again, Carol smiled. Second time of the movie. Bond! Bond, are you there? Bond! For your eyes only, darling. Bond! 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 He's there! That's in the Prime Minister. I'll get it, Dennis. Janet Brown, a wonderful Mrs. Thatcher. Mr. Bond, I wanted to call you personally and to say how pleased we all are that your mission was a success. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Don't thank me, Mr. Bond. Your courage and resourcefulness are a credit to the nation. <laughs> Dennis and I look forward to meeting you. Meanwhile, if there is anything I can do for you... Now that uh, Margaret Thatcher was running the country, it seemed that it was easier for the film industry to think about being back in London and filming. Because uh, people who have a, a normal job uh, and they're taxed every year and they're taxed on their income, and they, but their income is going to go on for 30 or 40 years maybe a rise every year, and they might pay a little more tax every year. But with uh, an actor, with an entertainer, singers, our lives can be very short in terms of the period during which you can make a little money. But they don't let you spread your income over your lifetime. 
and tax it. It's all taxed there and then. And the same with the film industry. This one big tax that was uh, was hurting very much the British film industry. And that was relieved somewhat at the point that we made this movie. I think it was a very different bond to the bonds we've had up to now, or that I had done. Uh, I think some of the action scenes, all of the action scenes, were, were spectacular. Uh, I missed a lot of the comedy, although I think at the end of the film, you think you don't, you probably say, "Oh, that was funny having Margaret Thatcher do that," and forget that there weren't as many laughs as a normal bond or the normal bond that I made. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed uh, watching the film and the commentary, if you listen to the commentary, and, and thank you for doing so. And I'll be back in the next bond, if you've bought the DVD.